watching Mormonism live and they called right in. Somebody called and their phone rang on air. I'm like, you guys be more professional. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. So, okay. All right. Okay. And three, two, one. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Mormonish. I'm Rebecca. And I'm Landon. And we have a wonderful guest on today. We are absolutely thrilled to have Lorelai Kay. How are you this morning, Lorelai? Oh, Very good. Yeah, this is exciting. I'm glad to be here with you folks. Yep, this is going to be really fun. So I'm going to start out uh, just by reading her wonderful bio that she sent me. She said, oh, maybe this is too long. And I said, no, this is one of the most entertaining bios I've ever read. So I'm going to do it. <laughs> well, thank after you. we read it, you're gonna, that's right. You're going to know a lot about her. And then we're going to get started in our conversation, which we're so looking forward to. So okay. Lorelai Kay, a mermaid at heart. Lorelai Kay is the author of the multi-award winning memoir, from Merman to Mermaid, One Woman's Voyage from Oppression to Freedom. She became hooked on writing when her father sat her on his knee and helped her create her first poem. She writes poetry that appears in magazines, journals, anthologies, and online. Her poem, Straightening Flower Fields, garnered first place in the 2021 San Gabriel Valley Poetry Festival Broadside Contest. Lorelai has served as a poetry judge for the California Writers Club Literary Review on the Blue Ribbon Judging Panel for Scholastic Arts and Writing Awards as a mentor and editor on the Dorothy C. Blakely Memoir Project on the board of the High Desert Chapter of the California Writers Club and is a member of the po Poemsmiths of the Mojave High Desert. Unsurprisingly, her namesake is the Lorelei, the German mermaid who perches on the River Rhine, who her father learned of when he served in Italy as a soldier in World War II. Lorelei grew up in Salt Lake City and became an official member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, known as the Mormon Church, on her eighth birthday, when her father baptized her in the font in the Temple Square Tabernacle. At home, her mother told her stories of her pioneer foremothers who crossed the plains to find religious freedom. Lorelai performed the Mormon ritual of being baptized for the dead in the Salt Lake Temple. She took organ lessons in the basement of the tabernacle and even had the opportunity to play the world-famous tabernacle organ. <laughs> she later attended Brigham Young University and was sealed to her husband for time and all eternity in the Los Angeles Temple. Yeah, Lorelai's transfer... Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's a footnote, I think, here on page two. <laughs> Lorelai's transformation began when her bishop called her to teach gospel doctrine, the dreaded gospel doctrine class, the scripture class for adults, which included the Bible, Book of Mormon, and Doctrine of Covenants, which is church, church history. Like anything else her bishop asked her to do, she put her whole heart and soul into it. As she continued to study and pray, she began to realize the depths of problems and complications in Mormon doctrine and history. And here's my favorite line of the whole biography. And that is when all halibut broke loose. <laughs> so welcome, Lorelai. It happened. No, and I have to say the first time that we became aware of you is all over our social media. This book, Hold Up the Cover Again, started popping up. It's very visual and sort of an article about award winning. And this, you know, we were like, what is that? That looks absolutely fascinating. And then independent of us kind of coming across it, we had a couple people um, just message us that said, hey, you got to talk to her. This is amazing. I know her, you know, she's my friend. This is incredible. So I'm like, okay, we got to find out who you are and figure out how we can get to talk to you. So we're just absolutely thrilled that we connected and that we get to talk to you today. It's just wonderful. It's perfect. So I think, um, I think my first question would be for you. Um, you, you talk about, learning to write uh, from a very young age. Why don't you tell us what that was like and, and how that kind of was with you throughout your childhood and young adulthood and, and now as an adult where you are now an award-winning, notable <laughs> author? Well, um, my father always wrote and he always, he wrote some poetry. In fact, my sister and I have just published, mostly my sister, but I helped, a book of his poetry called A Soldier and His Redhead, of poems that he wrote back to my mom when he was uh, in Italy where he heard about the Lorelei. And so it was always, it was always uh, a part of our, of our home uh, writing. And he, of course, writing genealogy. And he actually published a book on the Book of Mormon 
called the book of called Omni because he felt that that was the key to understanding the Book of Mormon. And uh, that was a huge family prop uh, project. I wrote the, let's see, the prayer of Lehi. Who, whose prayer did I write? Dedicating the land, whatever it is. I wrote that for the book. And, and my sister and my mother did the artwork. And so I guess I've always considered myself a writer, although I hadn't didn't really do that much writing, except, of course, you know, in college and <clears throat> in high school and at BYU when you write. And uh, the funny thing was, when I started writing this book, you know, I thought I knew about writing. You know, I'd, I'd always got A's on essays and things, and I thought I was familiar with writing. But, you know, just for the heck, I picked up a few books on writing. <laughs> for so much, I must have read 20, 30, 40, I don't know, 50 books. There's so much to know about writing and, uh, and memoir writing. So I spent a lot of time time with that. So the background really helps, but then you got to do the work when it comes down to it too. So, and that that is good advice. And it sounds like you tutor and help other writers, and you judge other writing contests. So it sounds like you're really involved in giving back. And I should say to everybody, yeah. I want to make sure we understand what award. And this this yeah. book has won multiple awards since it first came out in 2014. Yeah. But the 16. most recent one, oh, 16. Yes, the most recent one is um, it got first place in the Winning Writers 8th National North Street Book Competition. So the awards just keep rolling in for this. <laughs> yeah. And it's not even recently published. That's so exciting. And so tell us a little bit about when you, did you know that this book was up for that award or was it just kind of out of the blue? When did you oh, find no. out? How did you find out? You have to submit. So yeah, okay. you, know, you have to submit. And uh, the woman that leads our poems must group, which is our poetry critique group, which meets every other week, uh, she's real familiar with the book because she had been on the original critique group of Wordsmiths when it went through that group a couple of times. And she says, you know, Lorelai, you really should submit to this contest. She says, um, I just reread your book. It's just so good. You really should submit. And I thought, oh, what so I did. And they <laughs> said they'd let me know. They'd announce it in, what, April 14th, 15th? And, but they notified me like January 2nd, I got this email says, first place you won. <laughs> so what a way to start off the year, right? I thought, oh, this is so, but I couldn't say anything. They say, you can only tell your family. You can't say anything because we want to hold the announcement. You know, we want to have that for our send off. So did they, did they say what uh, kind of led to the award or what the strength was? I, as I read the book, it's very poetic. It, you, you write it in a very poetic way and a, a lot of uh, things you don't say outright, but you allude to them through, through a mermaid or through, through the sea or something like that. Was it, was it the uniqueness of the, of the way you presented the story? Was it more because of the, the faith in the, the story of, of the religion or, all of it combined, what what led think, them to that? I think it was all of those things, although it's interesting how you say poetic, because I have taken some just sections and submitted them as a poem and had them published. So, yeah, it, it, I guess that's why the first award was from the original publisher, Dog Air Publishing, and it was Award of Literary Excellence. That was the first award. And that was out the gate when it was first published, so... Yeah, you definitely have a unique uh, way of presenting it. Uh, the, to, to see a story told from the perspective of a, a mermaid who's left Mormonism, but it, it's your story, but you 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 relate it to to the mermaid and the sea and all of those things, and that everything alluded to that or surrounded by that. So it was it was definitely a very unique book uh, in the way that I, it was written. I used that analogy all the way through. Of the of the mermaid that gave me something to to hang it on and I don't know that's that's kind of a favorite way I think I have of writing having a theme but to to have that analogy go through the whole book um, I think helped keep the interest kept tie it together and and then I'd have to go back and think okay now how do I tie tithing into what do I do <laughs> into, <laughs> what do tithings and mermaids have to game. do shell <laughs> game we all know the church is shell game, shell game. <laughs> Oh my gosh. The salamander. I didn't even talk about the salamander. Oh, <laughs> oh I should have done that. 
could have gone there. Dang it. Part two. Well, and, and I think I allude, you know, we read in your bio a little bit about the mermaid, but why don't you tell everybody just the origin of your whole identity with the mermaid from the beginning. It's just such a beautiful story. And, and then just so interesting. Oh, okay. I just love it. You mean with how I got the name? Yeah, how you got the name and what you thought of the name when you were younger in the church. Oh. It had some connotation there. And then it seems like you came to embrace it. Yeah, just explain where the name oh, came okay. from to everyone. Well, yeah, my father, when he was a soldier in World War II, um, serving in Italy, he heard of the story of the warlike, or she's in Germany, but the story was there in Italy. And he came home, and nine months later, they had their Lorelei. <laughs> <laughs> and... and uh, when I was a child, I found that embarrassing. Oh, my gosh. Half-naked woman. Oh, my gosh. Good little warming girl, you know. Uh, but as I got older, um, well, it wasn't really until I guess I got divorced. We were, I was after divorce, and I did a lot of social things. I had lots of fun, by the way, <laughs> which is a good thing. <laughs> I didn't do that in the, well, I was a Mormon. I was too busy going to church and singing hymns. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yep, we understand that. I was at a resort in a swimming pool with a lot of people, and people found it fascinating hearing all this stuff about the Mormon church. And this was quite a few years ago. And, it, you know, now so much of this information is available. It's not really secret anymore. But then you really couldn't find it. It was really, you know, it really wasn't available. And so people would ask me about it. And one day this this guy in the pool says, you know, you should, and somehow I guess I already had a reputation of being a mermaid at that point, because he said, you should write a book and call it From Mormonism to Mermaidism. <laughs> and so that's how it started. Except, of course, when I started writing it, I knew I couldn't use that title. But, you know, the answer was staring me right in the face. But, you know, did I think that no for years it was going to be called a wave washes up and then one day in critique group uh, mary thompson said you know you should rethink that title because it gives no indication of what's in the book and i thought thought i'm not going to call this book let's see mormon oh i know <laughs> finally from mormon to mermaid which was you know based on what that that guy and i don't even remember him I remember what he said. I wish I could remember to thank him for the title. He was your muse, right? There you go. He, no, was my, he must have been a merman. I like that. My merman muse. There your you merman muse. Well, it's a very provocative title. And I think that's why when I saw it on social media, I was instantly drawn to it and just the cover art and went, what is this about? You know. And then before I even opened the book or read anything about what it would have been about, I thought, you know, it just, it represents to me freedom and expression yeah. and, you know, from this to pretty much the opposite, just this completely free creature, you know, to do whatever they wanted. So then I was extremely intrigued and the book definitely reflects that, wouldn't you say, Landon, in, in just its tone and... Oh, it, it it's completely fr uh, very free and I was, I mean, there, there's a little naughty side to you, Laurel. <laughs> it was like. I had to be there, right? You had yeah, to be. It's was, all of us. Those are the realities. Yeah. For a long time. <laughs> you, you, you took them right on. You weren't afraid to address them, but you, you do it in the poetry. So, you know, you, you, I, I was reading the, the story about your, uh, when you went to the bishop uh, to, to ask about oral sex. And I was like, oh, oh, dear woman, you know, how, how difficult that had to have been to do oh, it was horrible yes. and, why, and how how I mean, why would we think we'd have to ask and yeah. and then the fact that he I gave you an answer did. that was the, the answer he gave was oh yeah you should do it to make them happy but it's a sin and you should try to talk <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah he said he said uh it's important to please your husband but you should pray that he overcomes this desire so oh, all these activities on me, you know, yep. if he still wants it, then I'm wrong, but it's okay to do because, you know, and so then I think that chapter gives the best line in the book. Do you remember the best line in the book? Because I there either were so have many. to pray or yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh. So 
Yeah, like what do I do? Well, either way, I'm still on my knees. Yes, yeah, that's I, right. I love that's that right. line. Yes, yep. <laughs> I, think, I think that's the best line in the book. I like. Yes, that I, I that agree is, with that. Uh, I, it, I think it's followed right closely by the where you say hardly the question that opens the floodgates for sheet smacking, uh, butt slapping, headboard cracking orgasms. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh yeah, that's a good, that's a good too, huh? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But we have to tell our viewers and listeners, this is a very poetic book and it's, you know, there's a lot to it. I mean, this is a story, you know, this is a woman's journey. And I think it's really important that this kind of book is, is written because a lot of people don't talk about that era, what it was like to be a Mormon, you know, they, almost every chapter, you know, and I was a little behind you a little younger, but a lot of the experiences are very similar and I think they get lost. And it's important to know that, yes, back in the day, you would have to go check with your ecclesiastical leader to see if what you were doing oh, in the yeah. bedroom was correct. That was not an anomaly. That is what you had to do. And people today may not even understand or believe that. So this book pre presents all of this in a very readable, as you said, poetic, humorous, yet poignant. And, you know, it's real so that people can understand. And what I really appreciated is that you have a whole, I guess, glossary sort of at the end of terms in mormonism because the universal reader is not going to understand when you just say you know i went to ward council or i went to my bishop or i did a baptism for the dead and you talk a little bit about how you decided to do that because i think that's an invaluable part of the book so that people understand these are real things well um originally when i was writing the book i have a good friend in utah and he was telling me you know people are going to say that you misunderstood or that your family this was an oral history or that you know they're not going to accept that this is mormon doctrine unless you document it and so i was started out putting footnotes at the bottom of the page you know how you know i do and a, an editor mentioned to me he says you either lose the footnotes or lose the mermaid theme well i'm not going to do that i got a different editor <laughs> <laughs> That wasn't going to happen, but putting them at the bottom of the page does look a little bit scholarly, takes some of the fun out of it. So I decided what I would do, something unique that isn't generally done, is put appendix in the back where I document and give scriptures, quotes from the prophets, quotes from current leaders, quotes from, you know, every every doctrine that I discuss is, is footnoted, is documented. Uh, that's one of the things I did mention in in the in the prize for <laughs> I had to keep this in front of me. There it is. <laughs> go away in the waves. <laughs> uh, that they say uh, the gal that did the review, which is on my website, if you want to read their whole um, uh, review. I guess review would be the word. Yeah, uh, lorelaik.com. She said that I footnote everything that I say and says. As I say on, on TikTok, she's got the receipts. <laughs> so that's been a very important part. And many people, some people don't read it, read that part because they're more interested in the story and that's fine. But I was just talking to um, the vice president of our writers club up here and he just gave me a glowing view on, on Amazon. Um, and one thing he just thought was so fantastic was the appendix so he could go back and check this he's a pastor and he wanted to know that this was really you know this isn't just some little group that got a little off track that believes some yeah. of these things this is standard this is really what we were taught even though then they sometimes say later on oh we didn't really mean that the blacks couldn't have the crucifix. You just missed that really wasn't policy. You yeah. just misunderstood. But it was our doctrine. And that was huge, huge. And then to just make that change. And yeah, not, no, and that's why it's so important, I think, your book, because it presents it in a very readable fashion. And you understand that it's a woman's life as you just go through experience after experience, like all of us did. And you're kind of like, oh, I don't know about this, but okay, I'll just keep going. I mean, that's really what it is. And that's what all of us did. You know, I have to say the one chapter about <laughs> when you planned the parties and you oh. were asked to plan a meeting and then talk a little bit about that because you know as a woman growing up in the church similar era i was a young woman in the 70s and 80s exactly you know and you told it in a very real way if anyone wants to know what it was like 
this experience uh, that you're going to share now is exactly what it was like. So I almost threw the book down. <laughs> okay, I, I I will retell it, although I'm sure I wrote it better. I should have rewritten that. <laughs> but um, this was after um, I was divorced. I'm very active in the singles program, programs, of course. I was the, what do you call it, the state singles rep, you know. What are you going to do with a, a woman who's single now that used to? Anyway. Yeah. Uh, and they were, I wanted to have a Christmas party. And so I thought I'd have it at my home. My home isn't that big, but it's pretty good size. We get all these people in. Usually there's only about 10 or people, 12 people that showed up. Oh, I know it was family home evening. So for family home evening in December, I wanted to have a Christmas party. So I, um, you know, got everything ready. Of course, you have to clean the house. I baked a turkey. I got all the food. I got presents for everyone. I arranged for Santa Claus to come with a bag, and he brought presents. And it's a lot, you know, going into preparing an event like that. And there were like 25 people, and we had a wonderful time. We all ate and came gifts. Santa Claus came. Afterwards, uh, we decided we'll go caroling at the bishop's house with Santa Claus just because, you know, that'd be fun. So we did that, and the bishop and his family, he he enjoyed that. Two months later, I got a phone call, and it wasn't, he delegated it. <laughs> it was one of the, I can't even remember their titles anymore, counselors in the state counselors. High council or the high state? council, thank high you. High council, See how yeah. It washes away. Yeah, it washes away. <laughs> you go down the beach, it washes away. Uh, high council. And he delegated her to call and tell me that I was never to do that again. What? What? No, never. You tell her. He didn't have the guts to tell me. You tell her she should never do that again. I says, why? He says, because. I didn't have a man in charge. A man was supposed to say, I mean, I could do all this. I could clean the house and bake the food and get everything ready and buy the presents and get Santa Claus and welcome everyone, everything. But then a man would have to stand up and oh, we want to welcome you here. Yes. And then I could do the party, make sure everyone's happy and, and take care of everything and serve the food. And then after they left, I could clean everything. I, but at the end of the party, Thank you all for coming because it had to be priesthood. Yeah. 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 And that was in the day when a woman couldn't uh, open a sacrament meeting with prayer, which only changed, uh -huh. gosh, fairly recently, if you think about it. So, uh -huh. yeah, stories like that. That's what I mean. That's why this book is really important because you can tell someone, oh, yes, there used to be this very patriarchal way. But to show an example like this, where yeah. we can all relate to that and we can understand how you must have just felt what you know this is why this is really important didn't you find landon there were lots of instances like that and just that overall theme i i thought it was so good yeah i i actually wanted to ask uh it took you 10 years i think you said to write the book yeah. um, did, did some of these were you writing about some of these as they happened or was it all all in the past that you were writing from well, it was mostly uh, in the past, except I think the very last chapter I, I brought up current to that time. But the better example, Re Rebecca, of talking about male pa uh, patriarchy was when uh, I was asked, I we had a Big Bear conference up in Big Bear Lake, and it was a big deal. And there's this wonderful woman that always took charge of it because, you know, the Men sometimes, sorry, Landon, don't step them and do the, you know, work. sometimes these extra things, you know. And so she had been taking care of this for years. And she called me and asked me if I'd be a speaker. Well, I was thrilled to death. You know, that's just really a cool thing to have to be a speaker at this conference. And she says, and get a priesthood leader to speak with you. Well, fine. So, no, two priesthood leaders. So I first asked my bishop. And he says, great, I'd be happy to do that. So then I decided, um, I know I'll ask the high councilman without understanding the type of man this was <laughs> at that time. Um, so I asked him. Um, and I I made an appointment, because you have to make appointments, you know, to go to the priesthood leaders. You can't just call them up. They can show up on your door, but you have to make an appointment to talk with them. So I made an appointment and I had it all written out. So the information, the date and the time, what we needed, you know, the whole thing was there. 
And he says, I'm going to have to let you know. Uh, and so, okay. So a couple of weeks later, he got back to me. I need to backtrack just a minute here because he wasn't the second person I asked. First, I asked the state president. But he could, I mean, I went to the top, right? State <laughs> president. And he said, I'd love to, but my son's going on a mission and he'll be in the mission training center that weekend. Okay, so that's when I went to this guy. And he says, I'll have to get back to you. So he got, made me wait like two weeks. And he called me. And I remember it was a, a weekend that my girls were with their dad. So the house is feeling, the Sunday after church, it's feeling empty. That's feeling lonely. Answer the phone. This is a brother. I could give you his name, but I just call him. I think I call him Al, Al, Alligate or something in the book. <laughs> and he says, uh, I'm not going to be speaking at your conference. I've taken the time to, to let you know because I've been debating if I should tell you the real reason. Okay. He says, the reason I'm not going to speak at your conference is because a woman has asked me to. What? He says, this is a priesthood organization. It needs to be handled through the priesthood. He's the same guy with the party, the same man. He says, so I'm, I was so shocked. I was so shocked. But I did say, you mean you're not going to speak because my genitalia? <laughs> What did he say to that? <laughs> he says, well, no, no, no. Well, actually, yes, he says, that's true, because a woman cannot have this position. And you need to, uh, uh, you need to tell, I was supposed to, I've got it in the book, I didn't review it. Um, you were, if any other woman, if you've asked anyone else to speak, they're not to speak either. Well, I was devastated. I mean, I was just devastated. Although I did go ahead and speak, and my bishop did speak. Um, but the worst part, he found out that a woman was in charge of this conference. And he killed the conference. It had been going on for years and years. And if a woman was going to be in charge of it, that was the end of the Big Bear Conference for all singles in our whole Southern California area. Because he couldn't handle that a woman was in charge. And then a woman asked me, another woman, to ask priesthood to speak. And so that was the end of the conference. Uh, I mean, did, did that lead to, the, the book is dedicated to strong women unafraid to stand alone. Is that kind of what, it, it's definitely written towards women. It, you know, the book's definitely uh, written for women. But uh, you, you certainly covered a, a lot of things and you got very, uh, personal, uh, you, you, you described, uh, there's, there's the one chapter called provocatively wet, <laughs> where you explain, where Other you go over metaphor. your, uh, the, the, I guess it's the first time after your divorce, where you, uh, where you got intimate with someone, but you did it in a very poetic way. So you're, you're, you're reading it and you're going, okay, I know, I know what's happening here. But <laughs> I think I know what's happening. I think I know what's happening here. Yeah. Uh, the funny so. thing about that chapter, that was really a journal entry. That was a real experience that it really happened, that it, the whole thing felt like being in a river. And the Well, you have to read the chapter. I'm just not going to go into that. Today. There you go. Yes. <laughs> yes. We'll read that chapter. But yep. it was a journal entry that I, you know, modified slightly. But it, yeah, it was an actual experience. So and yeah, that's what made me say it so po poetically because you could describe that without really describing it uh, through the you lens. Got the idea. The, <laughs> the waves are crashing in. <laughs> I think Landon read the chapter two or three times, didn't yeah, you? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> but again, such a real experience. And that's yeah. what I'm just, I can't say enough about this book is it just is um, so real. And yet you're very, you're faithful and these things are happening and happening like they did to all of us. And you just kept going along frustrated devastated and sometimes but then you just keep going because that's what you it's do because it's it is true, if it really means yeah. you like the kingdom and if it's your eternal life and salvation hey you put up with this you yep. know you, that's the way god wants it the men are in yep. charge that's the way it's supposed to be 
But yeah. you know, when that the when the doctrine starts cracking, all of those other things, I'd like to think I'd be strong enough that I wouldn't have put up with all that other things. But if if it weren't for the doctrine cracking, I don't know that I'd be there still because you truth is just so important. Truth is what it should be all about. And so the book is very true. The church, not so much. <laughs> <laughs> that should be the subtitle. So, no, and, and that's why I laugh in when I read your bio about saying, you know, the curse of the gospel doctrine class, because you hear this over and over. I mean, I can count dozens of people that I know that went into being a gospel doctrine teacher with just these great, you know, motivations and they're going to do it. And then, like you said, truth truth prevails and then you start wrestling. So why don't you talk about getting that calling and just oh, how it, you know, exactly what happened. Cause I think so many can relate to this. Well, when the Bishop first called me to teach gospel doctrine, I was shocked because I was a single woman, you know, that's just really, really a big deal. So I was just, you know, oh, what a star on my forehead. I'm gospel doctrine teacher. I must be something right. So that's why I was just going to be the best job ever. And when he was, when I was still in the bishop's office, I thought, oh, I can't wait to tell my dad because he was always quite the scholar. And it was, it took me seconds for us, but my dad had passed away by then. So I couldn't share that with him. But I firmly believe that he would have been on the whole journey with me and would absolutely support all of my decisions. So that's, that's good. You know, you don't want to... Uh, go in the face of family tradition too much without feeling that they would understand. So I just started studying everything. Like just like all the books I read to to write this book. Um while I taught the first the first year was Book of Mormon. Well I really know the Book of Mormon back and forth. We talked about our family. My my dad wrote a book on the Book of Mormon. Oh I was grounded. I had great insights to share with these guys. <laughs> oh and some people didn't like that. Uh, our Sunday school superintendents, he didn't like that. I'd, I'd kind of try to open people's perspective the more that I learned. And uh, he actually um, did a second gospel doctrine class for the people that didn't want to go to mine. And I thought, that's great. That gets all the, you know, the... <laughs> and one woman... Wow. And so I just, uh, when we taught, when I taught Old Testament, which was my... I'm least familiar with Old Testament, but boy, did I study it when I taught that year. And I um, took a class at the local college on Old Testament. When I taught New Testament, I taught took a class at the local college. I read everything in the manual. But, you know, I did one thing that they didn't count on when they called me. The manual says this week's scripture study is from this chapter to this chapter in the Old Testament. And then these are the these are the verses you talk about. Well, I read the whole assignment. I read it all. And sometimes that changes this verse mm -hmm. because you put it in perspective. You say, well, that isn't what that means at all. That isn't what it means. And so I, I read the whole thing. And then, um, and I also would got, would get different copies of um, New International Version of the Bible has great footnotes. And yeah. I've studied the other versions and I've studied the footnotes. And, you know, all this stuff started happening. And then I got into uh, New Testament. And let's see, that was the fourth year that I taught. And I took a class at the College of New Testament. And then finally, the that was the fourth year and the, the Sunday School Superintendent's got me, um, I was going to say laid off. <laughs> what did they do it when they fired The you? Mormon version of laid off, released. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Released, thank you. Thank goodness it's been a while that I've forgotten that because that was so traumatic. But you it's know good. what he did? Oh, this isn't in the book, but what he did when he, uh, when he got me released, he didn't, he called someone else to take the class. And he, he said, now you go over to Sister So-and-so and get the manual from her. And he didn't tell me I was being released. And he didn't tell that brethren that that I knew I was being released. So he showed up on my doorstep and asked for the manual. I says, well, why do you need it, Jim? He says, well, I'm teaching gospel doctrine. 
that is not uh, cool oh my goodness i mean at first i wasn't gonna give it to him <laughs> i thought well and then like i started crying i gave him a hug and uh, yeah that's how it's released that wasn't the bishop's doing i'm sure the bishop that particular bishop was a good guy but um some some men just like in but it's an everywhere some people they're good people bad people good, you know and he just happened to be one that took the authority and he didn't like the fact that i seemed to be very happy he didn't like the fact that um i don't know as a single woman my house was clean i had a nice house the yard was wonderful i did all the yard work but you know i just seemed to have it together and, right. and you're thriving thriving and that's a yeah, problem sometimes you when you're not supposed to be thriving in that way so and after I was released, one woman came up to me and said, you know, I just enjoyed your classes so much because I always learned something new. And I thought, oh, yeah, it works. <laughs> that's, that's how you know you're on the road Life to apostasy when you teach something new. <laughs> the road to apostasy. Yeah. And your journey sounds very similar to Landon because, I mean, he was a uh, seminary teacher. Tell her a little bit about uh, you because really? it's very similar. Yeah. Morning. Classes I, I did and... early morning seminary with, with the kids. Yeah, and I uh, yeah, I, I took four years and I, I'd studied just like you did. I got real, I wanted to learn the history behind it so I could present it more. Yeah you know, in a, in a, yeah. give them more facts and, and tie them to it more. And then as Keep I saw faith, yeah. And so yep. I, I, I enrolled in uh, some new Testament and old Testament courses. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yale has an online course that you can take for free and they have religion. Really? Courses. Yeah. So oh, I, I took those I and started reading Bart Ehrman and, uh, 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 <laughs> who wrote the Bible and you read that. Yes. Yep. And you guys and, are not lazy learners. Let's yes, just say my that. eyes just became very open. And then you want to share it with everyone. Cause it's so exciting what you're learning and everyone doesn't want to hear it. <laughs> well, the funny thing is I, through my whole, my whole voyage, not journey. Cause it's a mermaid, right? So I have to it's be a voyage. Yes. Through this whole thing. I was, my studying was always in the parameters of the church. I mean, the scriptures, the manual that contradicted itself, the manual, the the history of the church, it was all uh, validated sources. I had never heard of the CES letter. In fact, I haven't read it yet because I figure most of us, I probably don't remember some of the probably things. Probably know it, yeah. But I hadn't, I had never heard of those. I didn't ever even step outside of the of Mormon, the things that are, you know, approved, approved. Right, approved, right. Yes, but there's enough problems there to keep you busy for a couple lifetimes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the problem uh, right there. Yeah. So, so when they came and took your manual, you were still attending, just had questions. Oh, yes, I got over it. I decided the thing I needed to do was forgive them. And so the next week I bore my testimony, how I'd enjoyed the class, you know, but you know, that's what you do. Oh, and the one thing do. about the class is that it got to the point where, you know, manual says you're to bear your testimony at the end of every class. You know, the, the church is true, the prophet, the bishop, the Joseph Smith, the whole thing. <laughs> Well, I got to the point that I, I mean, I'm an ethical person. <laughs> I couldn't do that. But the manual said to bear your testimony. So I got to the point, I thought, okay, I can handle this. Um, brothers and sisters, I want you to know how, how important it is to read your scriptures. And I testify to you that if you read your scriptures, it will change your life because it's changed mine. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a very subtle life. message yeah <laughs> yeah it's, it changed mine and that yeah so i could testify to that uh, you're that's, okay yeah I, I think words <laughs> once you're once you you're out or you're post-mormon you you start to be able to identify when people are testifying to you whether they are in the same boat as you because they do start using those words and they'll say you know, I hope the church is true, or <laughs> they start using those words that they they just can't bring themselves to say it, uh, because that was with me. That was the same thing. Is I went when I went to the bishop, I said, oh, yeah. I can't have a calling where I have to testify because I cannot 
say that I know these things are true, you know, and I said, I, I won't even tell the primary kids that I can't tell them these stories that I don't believe are true. And so then he called me to the nursery. Um, but... <laughs> really? He did? He yeah, really he did. did. But uh, my wife wouldn't let me uh, do that. She said, the man is taking cl classes at, from Yale on the New you Testament and the Old the Testament. Nursery. And you think putting him in the nursery is going to answer his questions? Well, your wife was not very obedient, Landon. Yeah. Yay! <laughs> Yay, that's it. So, so tell us then, how did you finally completely step away? I mean, this whole life of step by step by step by step, and then the out of the gospel doctrine. And then at what point did you finally just say, I'm, I'm continuing my voyage in another way? Well, it was only because the doctrine finally cracked. Uh, <clears throat> we all know now about the book of Abraham. I hadn't heard about it before, but... Um, a friend of mine, I started, well, I started reading uh, the book of Abraham and, you know, it has the stuff in the back. And if you pray about it, you can find out what it means, right? So what do you do? You pray about it. I mean, I did. I prayed about it and I studied and I started thinking, you know, Egyptian hieroglyphics. Now, how does this have the endowment? You know, it just wasn't making sense. And then I got this brilliant idea. I thought, well, you know, back when they tried to get this translated people couldn't translate it but now they can oh my gosh i'm gonna find someone that can so then there was this historic... this is landon's story exactly, exactly. this is exactly <laughs> what happened to I him thought i was you the guys first need person to, to think this up <laughs> really yeah we, we gotta find because but it didn't quite make sense it'd be egyptian hieroglyphics did that bother you because these are israelites yeah, yes, it did. And I just read about the Rosetta Stone. So I just learned that, it, you know, that nobody could translate Egyptian when Joseph Smith yeah. was doing it. Well, maybe at 10 people in the world at that time. And so I'm yeah. like, I'm like, oh, well, now we can read it. We know yes. Egyptian. We can translate. Good news. Good this news. is proof. And that, so I came home, I looked up BYU website on it. And I found the whole article that said, yeah, this doesn't say anything about it. It's a man named Hor, and it's his a funerary text. And I go, that that was my break. That was one of my huge breaking points right there. Yep, because uh, uh -huh. I taught seminary. I taught the kids this. I taught it was burned up in the Chicago fire, like they told. Then us. they found it. And they found then it they in the fifties. You found it forty years ago. How is this the first time hearing of this? <laughs> uh, well, I, I went to uh, this uh, church. A story, a history buff in our ward, um, and says, Tim, what about this book? He says, oh, I have a whole stack. I'll give you the whole stack. You can read it. So I started going through it, you know, and reading it, and it just got worse and worse. And then he gave me the book of Abraham uh, by, by his own hand, which is on, which is on my shelf uh, here. I still have it. And uh, it was totally devastating to read because my mind started whirling and thought even if these you know could there be another layer another layer of symbolism that god has infused this with that we don't you know but i couldn't figure out any other layer but the thing that got me was that, that joseph smith says it was written by his own hand and the manuscript isn't that old so we were having family home evening with my daughters. We're reading the work and the glory, which we were reading the whole series. And I'm there, mom, mom, come on, come on. We got to read. It's time. They're all laying in the, you know, the bed waiting for me to read. And I'm in the bathroom on my knees, throwing up with the biggest migraine I've ever had in my life. Because if the book of Abraham is a fraud, then Joseph Smith is a fraud, then what do I have? What do I have? And it was absolutely, and it's still kind of devastating to know that what I devoted my life to wasn't true. So mom, come and read. Well, let me finish throwing up. So as I say in the book, I regurgitated my face. That was it. Wow. Uh, that perspective. And so, so at that point, then did, did you quickly take steps um, just to say, all right, and move forward? Or did you kind of linger? I know some people linger for years and then other people just say, this is it. And I'm moving to the other side. Well, I still had young 
daughters at home. Yeah. And in all honesty, I didn't know what to do. I know I, I didn't tell them. The, the closest thing I came to telling them is uh, sometime later, I says, I'm no longer paying tithes to the Mormon church because it's it would be immoral for me to do that. And they, okay. <laughs> uh, so it, it, it took a while, but it just got harder and harder to be there. And then I didn't have to be there because I had been released. I still have dreams. In fact, I dreamed last week that, you know, I had gone back. Uh, and I don't think there's time to tell you. <laughs> Your subconscious just tells yeah. it what it is. It really tells it like it is. But I still have dreams sometimes that I go back and say, what am I doing here? I don't have to be here anymore. But it took a while. And then I tried searching all different. I drove an hour each way to the Church of Religious Science. That's not Scientology, Church of Religious Science. I uh, drove an hour to see Reverend Mary, a woman pastor. Oh, my gosh. She's a beautiful black woman that just radiated love and light. And I drove an hour. And my youngest daughter had to go with me because she says, how come I have to go? I says, your sisters always have to go to had to go to church. You have to go to church. <laughs> she was still <laughs> only fair. <laughs> yeah. That's so wonderful. What, so how long? Oh, go ahead, Lennon. I, I was going to ask what led you then to write the book? It's uh it's, you know, I wouldn't say it's an anti-Mormon book or anything. It's just your memoirs of your life and your experiences through it. Um, was it uh, uh, for healing? Did you write it to heal yourself? Did you just say this is a story that's got to be told? What what made you decide to write the book? Well, I think it was that man saying you should write a book and call it from Mormonism to mermaidism. But also these things were so outrageous that I used to believe I wanted to share that. Now you can find it other other sources. But the thing about my book is that people I gotta move it the right place. Uh, Hold the book up. <laughs> the thing about my book is that people that aren't Mormons, it's a little different to to give someone a pamphlet and say these are the problems of doctrine in the church. Yeah. Well that's not really that interesting and you know you don't know if it's true or whatever. But, you know, what actually happened to a person and, and how those doctrines infused my life, how everything that we believed, you know, was heart and soul inside of me and how how we lived Mormonism and how it came apart. Um, I wanted to share I wanted to share that information about. Um, about these doctrines that are so. Oh, folks, they're just so bizarre. Aren't they bizarre looking back? <laughs> That's did, the word. How did we looking do Looking back. Yeah. Oh, and you know, we just passed Joseph Smith's birthday, too, and I never passed April 6th without thinking, yeah, and the world doesn't even know. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Christ's birthday. Christ. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. One in the Mormon. same. One in the yeah. same. That's yeah. right. A Mormon. Yeah. <laughs> No, yeah. but I agree with you. The The platform of using a memoir, it just, it, it makes it all so clear. It reminds me of a book in our book club, The Good Book Club. We read Leaving the Witness by Amber Scora. And it's the story of a girl raised in the Jehovah Witness religion and just told as a memoir. And after reading that, you're right. I could have read a pamphlet about what do the Jehovah's Witness believe, but it would just be a bunch of random things. Reading a woman's experience being raised in it, going through it, having realizations about it, and then leaving, you have such an understanding. So that's why I think this is so important. And then the part of the book where you actually do specifically say scriptures and doctrines so people can delve even farther. But yeah, that's why I think this is so important. And have you gotten a sense of who your audience is? Have you heard that people who are not Mormons are reading it and, and you know, just fascinated by it? I would think, yes, absolutely. I would think, I would think so. I've always been concerned in book signing that someone would come up and say, well, I'm a bishop and you're, you know, <laughs> that hasn't happened. But people that have come up and say, you know, I was a missionary and I get what you say. The closest wow. they ever came to that is a book sign. A woman came up and says, oh, Mormon to Mermaid. She says, I was just baptized yesterday. <laughs> oh. Whoa. I, well, good for you. I hope it makes you happy. And I did not push the book. No. Nope. 
Well, know? and that's the thing. It's not an anti-Mormon at all. It's just an experiential book. And this is what, happened. what happened to you. And yeah, this is what happens. And this was your reaction. And like I always say, you can't make this stuff up, especially, you know, growing up in the 70s and 80s. It's just so hard for people to believe. So is your family, were, were there concerns about extended family or children? How did you navigate all that? Or was it pretty pretty easy and peaceful. I know people run the gamut of experiences when it comes to leaving yeah. and having extended family or children or. Well, uh, that was, that was very easy for me because my parents have both passed away. And so I didn't have that to deal with. But like I say, I felt very confident that my father would have been, because we talk doctrine all the time. I would have been talking everything I found out. I don't know what he would have done though at that stage in his life to try to give them. I don't know. It doesn't matter what he would have done, but he would have supported me. I know that. And so, and I have a sister and she uh, has left also. Uh, my children, I was concerned about them because especially my youngest one, of course, they're, they've all for different reasons. Folks, there are so many reasons to leave the church. It's just amazing. I left for doctrine, but there are so many reasons that people leave. My oldest daughter, she went to Utah State and she left because she took classes in anthropology and found out the what religion, how that does people's lives. She doesn't want anything to do with any religion. My youngest daughter, she was, I don't know, 12, 14, when, you know, I thought, well, it's because I left. She says, Mom, that isn't that you can't take that on yourself. I talked to her about it. And she says, I always knew that I wasn't going to stay. She says, I never believed it. She says, I, when I was little, I used to think when I grow up, I'm going to go away to college, but I'll tell my mommy that I went to church. Well, that's a thought process that a child would have. That is not a teenager's thought process. To, I'm going to call and tell my mom I went to church because a teenager wouldn't care what you're, you know, she had decided that as a child. A much younger child so oh okay <laughs> so they all it took me a bunch longer but uh they so well, that that particular part has been relatively easy for me yeah so similar my youngest said basically the same thing uh you really know, we told him he's like i've always been kind of atheist dad i've never really <laughs> believed <laughs> really? Oh, really okay <laughs> i didn't know that yeah, so it's it, yeah they all they they all behave differently you know when we told them uh you know got different and now most of mine are out some are still kind of in uh, but they how many do you have I've got four and mm -hmm. yeah it, it each one had a different uh, took a different path and has a different way of looking at it and it's it's been interesting to see you're right every every one has a different different way it's not like we had a family meeting and told them and they all said oh and then we're, we're with you dad it was yeah one two three this is why and this is what we're doing okay well i'll go that yeah. way no, yeah yeah all different people yeah so that part some people have a really really tough time with that but that part was relative relatively easy for me yeah that's, that's amazing and and we love the part of your book just the ending because our, our tagline to our podcast mormon ish is Oh, yeah. A joyful life on the other side of Mormonism. And oh, yeah. I said to Landon, I'm like, this is exactly, I mean, this book is exactly it because you just absolutely describe embracing everything, you know, living life, trying everything. Talk a little bit about what it was like on the other side once you made that step. And you were very free, it seemed to me. And you you expressed all that in your book. We just love that. Express all that, what it's like being very free. <laughs> Well, let's just say that when I was a teenager in my 20s, I just didn't get a lot of experiences. So I just had a lot to make up for. Yep. So I think that. And so you did. Yeah, I, I think, think a lot of people common, have those feelings. I think that's pretty common, as especially people who leave later in life, like yes. us. Uh, you start saying, I just gave everything for this belief. And oh my gosh, it's it none of it's none of it's true then what did i give up i need to catch up i need to experience that i need to see what i missed out on and i think that's very common and some people go really far you know and yeah. everything yeah. and others 
do slowly or whatever, but you see a lot of people getting tattoos and even at our age and stuff because they're saying, I've never got a chance to do that. I know at one point I started wearing shorts, short shorts, which took a long time because even it took a long time to quit wearing the garments. And then, you know, and then to wear things that would show that I wasn't wearing garments. But I finally got to where and my, my daughter would say, Mom, <laughs> mothers aren't supposed to wear short shorts. You're too old. And I says, look here. I couldn't wear short shorts when I was a teenager. I couldn't wear short shorts when I was uh, uh, in my 20s. So I can either wear them now or when I'm in my 80s. You choose. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they were thrilled, but hey, you know, I, I they they have their opinion about my short shorts. <laughs> that you know, and I think it also speaks to just be, being able to finally become an adult. When you think about all those ways that you live, you can never really be an adult. You can't do adult things. You can't use adult language. You can't watch adult media. You can't drink adult beverages. You can't express yourself as an adult. You can't really dress as an adult. And finally, you just say, I'm, I've got, I'm going to graduate. I'm going to become an adult. So other people would call that sin. It's not. It's just actually living an adult life the way that you're meant to live at a certain point in your life when you're more of a critical thinker. So I yeah, I appreciated that about your book. One cupboard that was full of all these different kinds of booze. Well, it turns out I don't <laughs> like booze because, you know, I never grew, you know, but by darn, by darn, I'm still too Mormon. By damn. <laughs> by damn. <laughs> <laughs> I I had this whole cupboard. Well, it's eventually gone. I gave it to my daughter who drink more than I do because I thought, you know, it's just taking up room. But, you know, some of the bottles are really pretty. Yeah, oh, yeah. exactly. Nice and in the end, you experienced it. And you know <laughs> I, it's your choice why you're not doing it, not somebody yes. else's choice. That's it. It's your adult choice to say, I'm not going to do this or I am going to do that. And and you're the right, one that gets right. to make that decision. So yes. that's what so being a mermaid is all about, right? <laughs> that sums it up completely. It yeah. does. Well, this has just been wonderful. Landon, do you have any final questions or thoughts? And then I think we'll hold the book up one more time and tell everybody you've got to go get this book. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I'm i going to say for the women, this is this would be a great read. I, I know it's written very much towards the women and, and uh, the men can enjoy it as well. But it's it's definitely a, a, a book that most women, I think, would enjoy, especially post-Mormon. I, I'd like to comment one thing on that one review I had on Amazon was from a man and he says, but what you have to realize is, is all these things are the same for the men because a man just has to answer to the guy above him. Yes. So it's not just a woman's That's uh, a good point. story yep. because the men are, he said, men are in the same boat. He's the only four star review I got. Everything yeah. else, five star. He gave me four pieces of the mint. But you know, that was a good point. And I thought that was insightful. And several of the reviews say, you know, men, you're going to enjoy this too, because it it um, explains a lot about the doctrine, the lifestyle. But, you know, the Mormon men, you're not free to, you know, you're supposed mm -hmm. to take colonies. They come from God, right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And that that's a good point because the, the freedom that you found is, is the, thing that the story's really about is that you know you can find that freedom after right. mormonism and so that that's that's the point that i got out of it was wow be 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 the mermaid <laughs> be yeah. the mermaid it's our new motto that's exactly yeah. right let's and all go get mermaid tattoos <laughs> and if it disappears in the waves <laughs> and there it is it actually looks really cool the way it's doing that so well, we just appreciate you so much coming on. And we are also going to have you come on and talk to our book club, the good book club that Landon and I run together. And we're all reading that book um, and enjoying oh, cool. it. And so we're looking forward to that uh, next month. I think it's next month. Yeah. So I just think this is great. And I think this book will continue to swim forward and receive more accolades <laughs> yeah. because yeah it just it just resonates it absolutely does and to me it captured just sort of a a slice of life of an era 
that a lot of people don't really remember, but but it really was like that. All your descriptions of BYU and, and just being in the church during that time. So again, we cannot uh, recommend this book enough. Please, everybody run right out right now. Grab a copy yeah. of this book and get reading. Yeah, and it's a really, it's just a very, it's a nice read. I mean, it's just, it's a memoir and it's just, it just flows. Let me use another mermaid metaphor. <laughs> it absolutely flows and you're Again, just going to love it. That's right. I'm not going to be able to stop now that I've been immersed in Mer immersed in mermaids oh my god i'm doing it again okay <laughs> all right well we will say thank you to landon the co-host we'll say thank you to lorelei again and please everybody uh, like and subscribe and hit the notification bell so that you can be made aware when new episodes come out and we just appreciate everybody our listeners and viewers and we'll sign off uh for this time from mormonish thank you everybody thank bye -bye. you bye-bye all right, boy, I made like. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Mormonish. We really appreciate our listeners and would love to hear from you if you have a story you'd like to share. You can email us at mormonishpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and on our website, mormonishpodcast.org. And don't forget to look for us on YouTube and like and subscribe. Keep joyful, everybody.